0: This is the M Word, a Studio 52 production, hosted by Ben Earl. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the M Word. Can't believe we're here already. Uh, I'm very happy because this is the first ever episode four. First ever makes me very happy. Someone's had a biscuit. Um, Right, yes, so here we are. And I also have to thank everyone for the kind support, emails, messages, all that kind of jazz. It's been amazing. Thank you for all of the five star reviews and uh, ratings and stuff on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a big difference and really means a lot. It shows you guys like it um so you know I'm, you know really happy all of the sharing liking subscribing all of that jazz um you know i don't know why i'm saying it really i know i have to say this stuff but you guys already know you know how the internet works if you don't buy now it's too late but i've kind of feel that you know to be professional i should say this stuff but i don't like saying it, it makes me feel dirty inside <laughs> but uh but nevertheless i also want to show that i appreciate it and also see the fact that you guys are actually responding and stuff and it's great uh, so yes that's that's good um I think one of the only kind of, not issues, but we've had complaints, which is a good thing really, which is just the fact that it's not long enough and you guys actually want more, Uh, which is kind of good. But if I'm really honest, there's part of me that feels it's a bit presumptuous to kind of insist upon any more time than I'm currently doing. I mean, I can do, but it feels quite a presumptuous and self-indulgent thing to say, hey, man, listen to me go on for X amount of time. It's quite a lot, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that some of the things I really love listening to, people I'm obsessed with, um, not necessarily magic in any field. And know I struggle sometimes when I see a podcast or something and it's like an hour, an hour and a half, and I think, God, I've really got to find the time to sit down and, and listen to that. Um So I I kind of feel like I shouldn't really impose on on people's time, you know, more than, say, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour, that type of stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Look, if you guys want it, that's one thing. But um, there's also part of me that feels that I should try and keep it shorter. But um, we'll we'll see. We'll see how these things um, evolve over time. But, you know, it's not really a bad thing. You know, I mean, that's uh, that's good, I suppose. That just shows you guys like it. Um, Also, we had someone send in a music track kind of a uh, a new kind of theme song which was amazing Uh, I mean it wasn't quite right for what we were looking for but the fact that this person spent the time actually putting the effort into doing it was was really impressive and it suddenly made me think that you know if any of you guys want to have a go at doing any form of theme song or you know re-editing some of the stuff that's said in the podcast and layering over the top and that type of stuff I mean you know what I mean I would love to hear some stuff because you know in the next series of the podcast or whatever it is uh, we we could end up using that and adapting that and of course we would then share and tell everyone about your skills uh, but that's a really cool thing I never really thought of that about that before but absolutely having um, you guys kind of interact and do that type of stuff would be amazing um but yeah so yeah that's 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 that um I think that's kind of most of the stuff the only thing I will say before we get into the nitty gritty of the podcast is I have felt so tired this week for a number of reasons um i'm not really sleeping properly i'm not eating properly uh i played squash the other day and i didn't warm up properly so you know my whole body is being propped up by hot water bottles and drugs (laughs) so i feel terrible but um i just i'm a bit run down and so the other day for example i sneezed differently you know how you know your own sneeze everyone knows their own type of sneeze I sneezed differently and I surprised myself. And the very first thing that ran through my head is coronavirus. <laughs> so I thought, oh no, I've definitely got the coronavirus because I've now sneezed differently. And now the fact that my body hurts so much, I'm kind of convinced that I need to go into quarantine. <sighs> I um, I probably don't. but And with my body aching so much, I've never been able to do the robot, you know, the dance from the 80s. I've never been able to do it so naturally without trying. I'm currently doing a perfect version of it. Right, but before I go into quarantine, you know, or get melted down for parts, uh, I want to talk about something which might change your whole approach to what you do. You know, it might change how you think about magic. Or it won't. (laughs) Or it won't. And you could just think, oh, that's what Ben said, but it might possibly change how you think about what you do. And uh, it might be one of the most fundamental and important questions that you can ask, ask yourself, yeah? Which is, what am I doing? <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Uh, it's kind of, what am I doing? But but I suppose, for me, when I say, what am I doing? I mean, I mean, really, what is the effect? You know, what is an effect? What is it? You know, how we think of an effect uh, is, is sometimes very different to what laymen think. And I think that are we um, limiting ourselves in some respect? You know, what is the effect? What's the most powerful version of it? You know, what are the things which constitute making it as amazing as it can be? You know, is there another level to go to? What am I really doing? What is the effect here? And I think there's something in exploring that question that we can we can kind of um maybe reveal some interesting stuff i mean at at least look i can just be honest with you and tell you how i feel about it and and i hope that that kind of resonates with you so the first thing i'll say is i think that when we talk about the effect amongst us we all kind of know what we mean We, we we see a description of it in a book or you know on some product or how a magician describes it from one person to another we understand what we mean by the effect okay um and we know that it shouldn't be muddled or confusing, right? We know that it, to be good, it, there should be a clear narrative of that effect, and, and, and all at the same time, maybe a clear narrative of the powers of the performer and what, you know, what everyone is saying at all, all times. You know, for it to be good, it has to be in that in that area. So, so kind of confusion is bad, clarity is good, right? And I'm not going to disagree with that. I think that um, a lot of good magic is very clear and a lot of bad magic is very confusing. And um, But I'm going to suggest that I think there's there's something else we can think about uh, in that space. Um, and it comes from this idea that I, I often think about when I describe an effect, either in print or to someone else or in any other respect. Like The moment I have to describe what the effect is, I kill part of the magic. I kill... An aspect of what it can be by reducing it to something so specific, and often it feels way too literal when I start describing something like that. Um, and I find this level of certainty quite boring. Um, and and I think that in that process, we start thinking about effects in that literal way. We start thinking, we start describing it and saying, "Look, the card is selected." Da da da. That or they name a card, whatever the cards are mixed, they're not touched, and then it ends up in the performer's pocket. And we have this very literal description and understanding of what's happening. And I think that our understanding of the effect is also connected to the methodological side of it. And it, it biases, I think, or affects deeply our ability to move to another level with how we start thinking about effects. So... Let, let, let's start from this position. So, <clears throat> whenever you perform something, in my opinion, n- nothing is really happening. You're not really doing anything, right? You know, you you might be manipulating some objects or doing whatever, but th- th- there's nothing really happening. Um, you have this idea in mind of what you're trying to do, but it isn't actually being defined by you. It's being defined by your audience, by them. You know, we we provide aspects of the frame and the context. But ultimately, they create what they think is happening, and you know, to some extent, that means that whenever you perform anything, it's kind of unknowable, right? Um, <clears throat> and whether you like it or not, you're already dealing with it. And I don't really think this is a bad thing. You know, there's large parts of what we control, huge parts of what we control, with the with the presentation, with the props that we use, or whatever those things are. Um, But I think we need to allow elements of the ambiguity, the misinterpretation, the reinterpretation um, of what we do, allow it to come in to elevate the effects to a different place. So, for example, I mean, well, I mean, look, look, when laymen watch magic, right? they, They, in my opinion, they don't separate method and effect. That's something that we do. They just see something happening. And which to them is a what and a how, and it all becomes the same thing. So they're simultaneously processing both things. They're forced to, in a way. They're watching this effect, and they're simultaneously thinking about how. And whoever you're showing it to, those people, let's imagine you had three different people that saw what you were doing. They can all walk away afterwards and have differing, uh, differing opinions about what you've done either from an effect point of view or a methodological point of view. And over time, those opinions might, might kind of grow further apart, creating three completely unique moments that have grown from the same source. And this basically is due to the kind of inherent ambiguity and interpretation which magic will generate just by it being performed. And, and that is amazing to me. Um, and I'm always thinking, well, how can I embrace that? This isn't just something I should think, well, it doesn't matter. I can't ever control that. And I think that as magicians, we're often trying to control everything. We want certainty, right? But there hasn't been any certainty at all since the Big Bang. <laughs> so we just have to get used to it. You know, everything is up for discussion to some extent. And this idea of permanence and objective meaning when it comes to an effect is, is just is just um, a kind of an illusion that we believe in. And I think that what I'm going to try and suggest, at least, are some ways to think about that ambiguity and interpretation which allow us to kind of make our current material better instead of us like pigeonholing ourselves with this literal understanding of an effect. (laughs) Do you know what? (laughs) I think I've mentioned pigeons in three podcasts in a row. I think... I seem to be subconsciously obsessed with pigeons without knowing. <laughs> I didn't expect this podcast to be so pigeon heavy. Uh oh, I don't know metaphors. or whatever, I don't know. I have no idea. By the way, I can actually do quite a good pigeon. Hang on. <clears throat> Give me this. Let me use one second. <clears throat> <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad pigeon. You know, um, I can do quite a few farmyard animals to be fair. Um, being around kids you often have to so here's a horse <laughs> well here's what if you're ever i can do like here's a cow is just um, but if you're ever out at a farm let's say you're around going uh, a farm or something with kids or whatever and you're walking around if you just like fall to the back of the group just slowly fall to the back of the group and then just when everyone's not expecting it just this is you just do this oh that's a donkey but also everyone will shit themselves it's um you know makes me makes me happy um i can't do monkeys but i can walk like them or or like i can walk like a chimpanzee and like a gorilla so like if here's here's a little i can't make the sounds but like um uh if if you want to do a good chimpanzee here's what you do like if you bow your legs as if you've been riding a horse for a month and then like sink down a little bit like you're doing a quarter squat and then put your arms above your head both of your arms and like flail them about and kind of walk a little bit zigzaggy and bare your teeth if you do that you'll look like a chimp 100 percent. if you want to look like a gorilla uh it's really simple like push but make you both of your front arms straight locked as if you don't have elbows and ball them ball your hands into fists and then push your shoulders forward screw your face up and then push your tongue up behind your top lip and then kind of just make like sounds Um, and you can beat your chest like that Um, and then if uh, (laughs) if you want to surprise someone oh my god the amount of times I've jumped out on my wife pretending to be a gorilla (laughs) she don't like it in my head she'll love it the next time she'll love it but every time she screams and then hits me and tells me not to do it but yeah there's there's Just some tips for you. Um, okay. Uh, I can't really remember where I was now. Something could, something pretentious probably. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so this idea of um, uh, ambiguity and interpretation within an effect. Right. So let me give you some examples of some kind of interesting things. So when I first got into magic, I was very young. I went to a magic shop and a teenager. I can't really remember. So I must have been around 13 or something. Um, and maybe younger, and there was a guy behind the counter, and he did this thing that was amazing. The packets, and he had a deck of cards in his hand, and the cards began to float, right? They began to float and move, almost in, like, separate sections. They all kind of, like, moved and floated, and then he kind of delicately collected them all back together. It was one of the most incredible and beautiful things I'd ever seen. I didn't know what was happening. And I was simultaneously experiencing this magical moment seeing this kind of floating, morphing, moving thing. And at the same time, I, my brain was thinking, well, it's strings, wires, magnets, you know, all that stuff. Um, and I, I said to this guy, like, what is it? And he said, oh, it's in one of those books on the shelf. <laughs> Git. Um, and I said, uh, which one? And he was like, one of them. So obviously I knew what my task was, was to read all the books on this shelf. And, you know, after, you know, when you're young, you don't have enough money to kind of like afford to do that. And so, I was having to pick and choose very carefully, and not having much luck. And in the meantime, I was speaking to a lot of other magicians and saying to them, "Like, do you know this thing? That all the cards would like float and reassemble." And people were saying, "Oh, a haunted deck variation. Uh, is it this, that, and you know, the hover the boomerang card? All these different kind of um, effects were being were being mentioned to me." Um, including things like Paul Harris's Ten Segrity, and all these different bits were, were, were getting mentioned, and none of them fit. Every time I'd go looking for them, so I, I went back to this magic shop. But it must have been—I don't, I don't even know—six months, a year later, I can't remember. And I, sp- I spoke to the guy, and I said that that thing, and he went, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the book. You've been, you know, looking at a few things. So, um, yeah, it's in this book over here. So uh, Chris canners totally out of control. It's called The Five Faces of Sybil, and I, I, I couldn't. Pick up that book quick enough and read it. Now, I tell you this because in my mind, when I saw that, it wasn't a flourish or a piece of cardistry or a piece of juggling. It didn't look like that. I'd never seen cards move in that way before. It, I didn't have a structure to hang my knowledge of card magic on that made me understand what I'd seen. To me, it just looked like they began to kind of separate, fragment, and slowly float out the hand, by which they were then delicately gathered back together. I mean, it looked insane. And I've always kept that memory. And it's made me over the years realize that there's all these different ways that when you don't have knowledge or understanding, you can misinterpret, misunderstand. I didn't see the fingers holding the packets between other packets or anything like that. I just saw these things float out of the hands and come back again. It was beautiful. And I think that that's a really important thing to bear in mind because it's quite likely that someone else could see it in the same way, especially given a certain amount of time. And I think as a kid, even as the weeks went by and I still didn't know what this thing was I was looking for, this thing got even more amazing in my head. You know, you start to think, well, I bet he was only showing me level one. What if he'd scaled it up? Um and so it was amazing and I frantically started to devour uh the Five face of Sybil and I was thinking, Oh, okay, I'll move around like this. And even as I was doing it, I was thinking to myself, I don't remember it looking like this. Um and it kind of took me a few more years to kind of mature magically to kind of start realizing that I'd 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 done that. Um I had the same thing when I first saw an incredible coin vanish being done. It was done for me in a magic shop in London, um, International Magic, and it was shown to me by a guy who, who's sadly passed and was a teacher of mine for a number of years called Bobby Bernard. He he showed me an incredible coin vanish where a coin was thrown into his hand. I saw it go through the air, land in his hand, and then it just vanished. And there was nothing, no sleeving, nothing. I saw that thing land, right? Uh, and years later, I obviously know it's the kind of Goshman, Flosso, Toss Vanish where it's all mime, um, but but it's in, well, the reason I'm mentioning these things are is that we sometimes, as performers, really, really don't appreciate enough the power that comes from what's going on truly inside people's heads. It's not just about them not being able to work out what's been done. It's not sometimes about them having a literal understanding of everything, and these are just that's just a flourish and a, and a coin thing. But I, but you know I can give you some more examples of that. So um, I think so. Uh, here's something which is I think really quite amazing that kind of pushes a bit closer to what I'm talking about. There's a there's something in the very first street magic special by David Blaine, and it's a particular effect that's in that book that no one ever talks about. That book. <laughs> Uh, that show, that TV show. So it, there's a particular effect in in that show that no one talks about, ever. And I think I know why. And I, I think that most people have missed something quite quite amazing. And um, uh, David walks up to someone on the street. It's a woman, and he says to her, think of a card. Uh, shows her the deck, think of a card. He then shows one card and says, this isn't your card. And he hands it to her, and then you know, presto, hey, it changes into the selection. And in itself, you can argue that it's a very uh, simple, classic, linear approach to a card effect. And I think one of the reasons that most magicians never paid any attention to it is because they immediately understood uh, the methodology. It was a um, force was happening, and then uh, it was going into a double lift, and then it was just given to her, and it was just very simple, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was just... It was there and it got this amazing reaction. It's very easy for magicians to go, oh, you know, it's very lucky to get this reaction. But what was amazing was the scripting. That what what David said was incredible, um, which was he said, so he he shows her the incorrect card. Um, and he says, like, I can tell by the way that you reacted to that card that your card wasn't red, right? You know, and in fact, I can tell by the way that you reacted to that card that, in fact, yours is probably a diamond. And meanwhile, she's still holding the other card, so this it gives a natural reason, first of all, for showing an incorrect card and handing it to her. It's kind of almost you're using it as some kind of divining rod, some you know litmus test for working out what she does have in her mind. So that that straight away is a is a kind of a very an interesting way to 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 do that It makes sense. You're not just showing her the wrong card and handing it to her. There's a reason for that. But then came the kind of really interesting bit because he said, "What if when I gave you that card that I said wasn't yours, I made you see something that wasn't really there?" Right? Now, any magicians watching this, they're kind of not listening to the words. They followed the 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 the, the effect. They followed the the method. They're looking at it, seeing a reaction done. They can kind of ignore the words, but I think the words are a large part of what created that reaction. Let me say that again. What if when I gave you that card that I said wasn't yours, I made you see something that wasn't really there? I mean, what does that mean? Right? Think about it. When you when you're saying it, what if when I gave you that card that I said wasn't yours, you're not even saying you have done. You're almost saying in a hypothetical situation. So you're asking them a question that you're not even saying you, you you've done or you're going to do. You're kind of setting up this hypothetical. Right, which immediately puts you in a strange place. So, what if uh, when I gave you that card that I said wasn't yours, I made you see something that wasn't really there? What does that mean? Is that sleight of hand? Is it psychology? Is it mind manipulation? Is it hypnosis? Is it what? And you're asking them how they would feel about that? Then they're like, "Well, I don't know how I would feel about." It. There's a lot to process now. That I think is a stunning line, and I, I mean, I've been kind of using that or variations of that and adapting elements of that for over 20 years now and it's one of my favorite things in that special and yet I've never heard another performer magician anyone ever mention it and I think what's amazing about that is it sets up this idea of ambiguity in their minds what am I watching you know this isn't just a card trick anymore this feels like I'm simultaneously watching an effect which happens to be happening with cards but also I'm I'm seem to be watching something which is some strange psychological illusion taking place. And I'm being forced to think about what that means. You know, I think it's, it's quite likely that in the moment and over time, you could show that trick to a number of different people and they would walk away in the moment and over time having slightly different reactions and feelings towards that effect. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a really stunning thing. Um, and the actual narrative of the effects, very clean and very clear card is selected uh, incorrect one shown handed it changes a very it's not confusing it's a very clean and clear narrative but then this lovely little one or two lines are really injected which just set up this space for someone to think and interpret and i find that idea amazing i mean i have uh something i call the secret script which is just a script that i use when I don't really have a presentation for what I'm doing or I don't know what I want to say with a certain effect uh, or if I want to say anything at all. You know, it's basically something that's in the kind of test phases that I'm working on. And what I do is I, I have this thing, which which script that I can say to someone which allows me something to say to perform this. And it could be a card thing, a coin thing, anything. This script goes with any trick. All I say is this, just as I'm about to do it, I say, oh, by the way, you've you've probably seen, like, you know, tricks before or magic before, whatever it is you've seen. But I'm just going to let you know, whenever you do see some magic, whether it's on television or close-up, you always, really, you see three things that you're not aware of. So first is the trick that you actually see, the thing that happens in front of you, right? Second is a thing you don't see. It's a thing underneath, the thing that's hidden. And finally, there's the one that you remember, And my goal is really to make all three of those things appear to be exactly the same. So let me show you this. And then I just do whatever it is I'm going to do. I mean, (laughs) what the hell does that mean? It kind of makes sense. kind of makes sense. But it also opens up this space where they are thinking about this thing I'm seeing, this thing I'm not seeing, what I remember. And it's kind of putting them in this very interesting space. And... I've been using that for years with um, great effect, and it really causes something to happen with them. Um, I have a, I have another thing that I published in something called This Is Not A Box, which is uh, something I call a, a change illusion, which is, again, a very simple narrative, right card, wrong card, you know, in, uh, card selected, incorrect one shown, handed to them, it changes. It doesn't really matter to some extent what the method is, but the script that I would use, and I have many variations of these things and ways of going in and out of them, but just randomly now off the top of my head, basically, I'll say to them, uh, now, before you see this, um, you know, there's a number of ways you can think about this. One is that it's just magic and you don't really want to know. The other thing is it might be sleight of hand. It might be manipulation. It might be psychology. You know, maybe you're seeing things that aren't there. Maybe, you know, it's some psychological illusion. Or maybe you don't care and you just want me to get on with the fucking trick. Right? But whatever it is, normally the things that people think says less about what they see and more about how they look at the world, right? Which is interesting to me. So here we go. And then I proceed and do that effect. Now, that's a much more literal way of pigeonholing them. There it goes again with the pigeons. (laughs) I can't help it. Um, But that's a much more literal way of kind of priming them where to think. I don't know where they're going to go, but I know that they're going to possibly go into these areas, right? Um, And I, I find that, really interesting i mean i've done the same things with uh, even something like ace cutting to me it's not just a gambling demonstration it's a weird mixture of i'm apparently memorizing the cards and i then proceed to cut these aces out which is kind of like memory but i mean just if you could memorize cards it wouldn't mean that you have the skill to cut to exact numbers and then if you could do that, it certainly wouldn't mean that you could do do that with a kind of a flow and an aesthetic beauty that you know, you're trying to potentially affect. And so there are these kind of slightly incongruent elements of the ace cutting thing, which is designed to draw them in. And then that's why I perform that in silence most of the time. Because that's often where the truth is in that space and it feels like I can pull them into something and cause them to wonder about techniques, what's going on in my head, is it mathematics, is it card counting, is it, I don't want to give them a literal definition of what I'm doing. You know, even not even outside of protecting methods as a performer. I mean, I just don't want to kill the potential for that to become something else. I do the, the same thing. I have an effect called primary movement where a coin moves from one hand to another. And it's a very s- simple thing. In that, I, I set everything up in a very clean way. And then I just shut up and leave a void so that they're forced to kind of look and think. And I think there's, there's something really interesting about this idea of playing with... Ambiguity and interpretation, where instead of having this literal understanding of what an effect is and what it can create, instead we we put these little things in there which are going to cause them to wonder and interpret and um, misremember and over time and actually make that part of the agenda in the effect. You know, I find that amazing. I mean, here's there's you know th- when it comes to memory, right? I mean, <laughs> there's a, a uh, th- this is this is someone I don't know. I can't even remember who told me this now. I mean, this goes back maybe twenty years, but someone told me this many years ago. Where and it was at a time when I wasn't close to being a performer. I was a, I was a, a young kid, and so the idea of going off and performing gigs and something seemed a world away from me. And this guy told me that um, that basically a uh, he he went and did a show at a house and he did card on ceiling right. Um, and he also did uh, Spooked. Do you know what? It may have been Nick Einhorn that told me this. Or maybe it was he wrote something on it. I can't remember. Anyway, but he he did Spooked. You know the effect where a card is selected, you spread the cards or put the cards on the floor, and, and then without touching, their selection jumps out. So he performed Card on Ceiling, and he did Spooked, and a number of other things. And then he did the same gig again the next year. They'd asked him back because he was so good. Come and do this. A a job for us, and the 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 lady who had hired him came up to him and said, "Oh, please come and show our friends this magic. You were brilliant last year. Can you please come and show them that effect you did last year?" And you know, is that her? Which one? Remember? And she goes, "The one where you threw all the cards on the ceiling, and then my selection moved across the ceiling." Right now, isn't that amazing? That she'd combined those memories into one effect. Right or combine those effects, sorry, into one memory. She didn't see the kind of separation. And that to me is an amazing thing, Uh, that when you perform one thing, instead of thinking about an effect as having this literal definition within itself, we also kind of compartmentalize effects. And we go, well, this is one effect, now I shall perform this effect. And we think of effects as having this literal objective meaning within themselves, and then we compartmentalize them all. But the reality is, not only is there ambiguity and interpretation inherent anyway in magic within all of those individual effects, but when you follow it with another, they can kind of cross-pollinate and inform each other. And, you know, that to me is an amazing thing, you know? And I think that the key to me is to try and intentionally design these elements in to what you're doing um so that there are areas where they can be misinterpreted in different ways and you know i mean there are many ways that you can think about this actually think about practically how how do i do this well i mean the first thing is simply imagining with an effect you're doing all the ways that it could be misinterpreted like what are the wo- how could they think about what they've seen you know what? What are the different ways they could possibly go outside of what you want them to think? What are the potential areas? And what's fascinating? You know what? What's amazing if they combine this element and this element? And and kind of once you can kind of think about all those different things, can you possibly put some little uh, uh, what's the word like, like almost like a beacons, like or or, or kind of. Um, roadmaps which point them towards those things maybe or maybe some little kind of hooks that you leave there that over time as that memory fades it will hang on one of those hooks maybe you know it's a strange way of describing it but I think something about thinking about an effect that you do instead of just thinking I know what this means and I know what it is can can you think about all the ways that it could be misinterpreted and then you know lead them like Hansel and Gretel lead these breadcrumbs going off in these different directions which allows it to become something else um, you know, this layering just adds a level of depth. You know, I, I to me, this is a fascinating area, and I think that too many, too many of us think about an effect and what it is in much, much too literal a way, and and attached to, attached to what we are actually doing. You know, a card is selected, da, 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 it appears in the pocket, and we just think of it in this very, very, um, almost hermetically sealed fashion. When it's just not. Um, And, you know, I I think that on top of that, uh, you know, aside from just trying to kind of hopefully stimulate you to think about this subject, there are some things you could possibly look into. If you go and look into false memory stuff generally, um, you can look, there's a a psychologist um, in the States called Elizabeth Loftus. You can look into some of her work. It's very interesting. She has a lot of um, false memory stuff, especially with eyewitness testimony and stuff like this, which is very, very interesting You look at things like the Mandela effect, which are um, ways that there are kind of collective and almost like cultural misunderstandings of certain events, which are very interesting. I think looking into these things generally is kind of interesting, but also, you know, when, when I, when I'm talking about ambiguity and misinterpretation and intentionally leaving space in your work for that, you know, not wanting to define what it is, giving them the space to create something more interesting. There's also some interesting things you look, you can look at in film theory and there's, um, there's uh the channel's called now you see it and and the video i think is called either over analyzing movies or the art of over analyzing movies if you if you look at that there's some really interesting stuff in that which is to do with leaving this space for misinterpretation and symbolism and all this other type of stuff which can actually make something beautiful and powerful and and the idea of allowing this element into your work i think is a I think it's a really, really cool thing. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's a weird thing to talk about. It's not easy, you know, it's not easy because we don't want confusion. We want clarity, but we also want it to open up into something else. So I think, you know, it's its a, its not an easy subject to think about or talk about or use, but, but I think there's some really powerful stuff in there. Um, yeah, so I suppose <clears throat> to conclude, really, the effect, right? The experience of magic, whether you like it or not, is up for interpretation, because it's a subjective experience from the point of view of an audience or an observer. And for me, that is a space that we should play in far more often. Yeah, as magicians, we should embrace that uncertainty, not be scared of it, you know, mitigate against it, or deny it. Right? There's, there's an old um. Uh, there's a Ram Das quote uh, which, uh, where he says uh, the degree to which you resist anything is the degree to which you're not free. It's kind of cool, right? So I think that uh, <laughs> I know I know he's talking about life in general and we're talking about card tricks but in my head in that second it made sense. So, But I, I think there's something in that which is that instead of denying that and thinking, oh, well, I can't control what people think, right? Instead, embrace it. We should try and use it, you know? And I think the way you start that is to let go of definitive ideas and realize that we're not in control and we maybe have to put our ego a little bit on the back seat. Now, we can have ideas of what we're going for, right? But ultimately, we have to realize that when it comes to how people experience and remember what we do, we're not the ones who decide. Yeah, Magic is about, or magic rather, is not about what you do. It's about what people think you do you know maybe true wonder and true magic doesn't come from your hands but comes from the freedom that you give an audience to think and create for themselves so therefore the greatest effect that we can create is one that we'll never see right maybe that is is the ultimate effect maybe that's the point Or not. (laughs) What do I know? Uh, I'm just a guy who's obsessed with pigeons. This was a Studio 52 production. For more information, visit studio52magic.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Studio 52 Magic.